Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Pastor Gerald Brooks of Grace Church in Plano. Thank you so much for taking a few moments to join me for this podcast. I realize that this podcast is coming out at a very unique time. Our world is in upheaval. There are things that are going on that no one's really sure of the answers naturally. People are trying to figure out what the playing field really looks like. How do you navigate? How do you lead? How do you do what's best for others and still maintain a sense of value and conviction? How do you achieve that? Well, today I want to jump into a podcast thought, Questions About Crisis, Questions About Crisis. If there's one thing that leading for 42 years gives is that it gives perspective. It offers unique perspective. And it's just something that can only come with length of time. The ability to have been there, done that, and maybe learn some things from when you've been there and have done that. Now, This perspective is the kind of thing that David talked about in Psalm 37 and verse 25 when he says, I've been young, isn't that a great time in life? But now I'm old, certainly a different time in life, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging for bread. What is he saying? He says, young or old, I've seen God be there. Whether you're in this time or that time, I've seen God be there. But he's offering perspective. He's not just offering promise, he's offering perspective. Well, that's a little bit of what I want to do today is I want to offer you perspective. And what I want to wrap my arms around is the perspective of having been there. Now, I'm going to tackle more than anything some of the generalized thoughts about crisis. So if you haven't listened to my previous podcast where I talked about leading as a pastor, I think that that is a must listen to because it takes you through all of the major crises that I've had to lead through over the years that our society was going through at various times. That being said, um, in 1986 and 87, there was a thing called the savings and loan crisis, the savings and loan crisis. Now, The savings and loan crisis was going to cause utter damage to people within my church. 30% of everyone in my church is going to lose their homes. Their homes are going to be foreclosed on. You talk about devastation, watch husbands, wives, watch kids when they literally have to walk out of their home for the last time. They've lost it. Simultaneously with that, 50% of the people that are left, their homes are underwater. They have no option. If they miss a payment, they have to literally walk out of their house because their house isn't worth what they paid for it. So if they paid X, it's now X minus. And so in 1986, 87, I had to pastor when people were economically devastated. Their homes are literally being taken away from them. In 2008, I can remember it vividly. In the middle of May, God told me that I had to act. The news hadn't gotten out just 
quite yet, but I made a decision, and that decision literally saved this ministry because of the principles that I put in place in May before August when it finally hit the news about what was going on. And now we're in 2020. People are being laid off. People who used to make X are making X minus. People are filing for unemployment. Here's the thing. What do you do? Here's what I can tell you. Each crisis is different while they're the same at the same time. I get it. That's confusing. Every crisis is different. So in 2008, it was about the banks that had a problem that eventually caused people problems. Today, it's about a virus that caused a problem, and now people have a problem. So they're different in how they start, but they're the same and what they bring. So let me give it to you this way. Every crisis brings four things. It brings, number one, an emotional price tag. When you're in the middle of a crisis, the people you're dealing with are emotional. They are dealing with the emotions of the moment. They're dealing with the depths of emotions of the moment. They're experiencing the emotions of the moment. They are going through emotional turmoil. It's not only that, but you have your own emotions because you're caught in this upheaval. You're facing it personally, but you're helping them face it. There's always an emotional price tag. Now, let me just say this. As a leader, if you're overwhelmed, your people are done. You have to be able to handle the emotions of the moment. And I've talked so much. There's so many podcasts that I've already done. You can go back where I've talked about the emotions. But here's the thing. You've got to be able to handle the emotional moments of crisis. They all come with an emotional price tag. And if you don't know how, can I encourage you to get the book that I wrote on the emotional makeup of a leader? I think that could help you. They not only bring an emotional price tag, but they demand wisdom. Every one of these crises required a point of wisdom, a reference of wisdom that was distinct and different. What was required in 86 was different than 2008, and what's required in 2008 is a little bit different than what's going to be required in 2020, the demand of wisdom. Thirdly, they all require extreme discipline. They require leaders to be more disciplined than they've ever been. They require leaders to have levels of discipline that they've never possessed before. They require that. So every crisis, there's an emotional price tag. You're going to have to pay it because people are paying it, but you can't get overwhelmed. There's a demand for wisdom. You're going to have to figure out the combination of this moment and understand what you need to do with that. And then there's extreme discipline that is needed. You've got to stay on target. You've got to have your A game. You can't have your B game when people are at their worst moments in life. And then four, there has to be high levels of compassion. Because in crisis, more people are hurting than ever before. And you have to have levels of compassion that are 
extreme in the sense that you're always opening up your heart for more. And that's what Paul said when he said to the Corinthians, we have enlarged our heart before you. We have enlarged our heart before you. I say that to you that literally you've got to be able to have this capability. The next thing is, is that once you realize every crisis is different, while they're also always the same because every crisis brings four things, there are keys to crisis. Now, I want to be honest with you. Some of these keys are pretty basic. The last two, if you're a pastor, are the ones you need to really wrap your arm around. But I'm not going to start with those. I'm going to end with those. So when we talk about crisis, there are keys. The first is presence. As a leader, you have to create presence. I love 2 Chronicles chapter 20. In fact, I'll be teaching five things on crisis from it to my congregation this weekend because I want them to understand. But here's one of the things it says, and he stood in the midst of the people. When crisis comes, leaders have to be seen. When crisis occurs, the leader's voice has to be communicated. When crisis comes, you have to create more presence. See, when things are going well, I can back away. But when things aren't going well, I have to push forward. When things aren't going well, I can sort of be over uh, in one place. But when they aren't going well, I think I misspoke just then. But when they're not going well, I have to make sure that my voice and my presence is felt. Now, today we have that through a whole lot of ways through all the technology platforms. There are ways that we can create presence, but your people need to hear you. Your people need to see you. Your people need to know that you are there. Secondly, faith has to be brought to the forefront. Now I tell people, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor and I'm not a politician. So I can't speak to you about science. I can't speak to you about being a politician. And I can't speak to you about just all of the little things that they may be able to communicate. I'm a pastor. That means two things. I'm a man of faith, and my job is to help you have faith. Now, my job right now is to make sure that my people's faith doesn't get lost. My job right now is to make sure that the faith of my church doesn't get lost. And my job right now is to let people know that faith in God can never be lost. So my faith can't get lost. I can't let the people's faith get lost. I can't let the church's faith get lost. And I can't let faith in God get lost. I have to bring it to the forefront. I am challenging my people to believe like they've never believed. I'm challenging them to have a faith that is bigger than fear, to have a faith that is greater than their questions, to have a faith that surpasses their circumstances, to have a faith that holds tighter to God than this world, to have a faith that will not let their faith be taken from them. Faith has to come to the forefront. Number three, prayer has to be personal. There's not a meeting that we have. There's not a video that we send out. There's not 
any kind of occasion that prayer is not made personal. So right now, last week, we did a thing called drive-through prayer. And drive-through prayer just basically looks like this. You come, it's like going to Chick-fil-A. Here's what I tell our elected officials. Hey, if they can drive through a Chick-fil-A and that's healthy, then they can certainly drive through a church for prayer and that's healthy. So they drive through, they lower their window. We hand them a card that has five verses on it. And these are verses that we're going to pray for them. We then have someone lean down, keeping distance, and we pray. But we make the prayer personal. Every service that we send out, I am praying for the people. I'm praying personally. I'm giving them the verses I am praying. Why? Because when you give them verses, you're not just praying for them. You're teaching them how to pray. Prayer is personal. The next principle, serving is a must. Serving is a must. See, right now, it's not enough to see church if you're not doing church. A lot of people are putting on video services where people see church, but church isn't about watching, it's about doing. So everyone who is seeing church has to have a way to do church. So one of the things for us was when they came through the drive through prayer, one of our food banks needed some food. So what we began to do was to ask them to bring a couple of things. To bring a couple of things that were going to help them. To bring a couple of things. And so we had cans and boxes so we could take. But here's the deal. It was a way they could serve. We're asking them to be a part of phone banks where they're calling people in our church. It's a way for them to serve. We're asking them to go out of their way to write a note. It's a way that they can serve. We're giving them prayers that they can pray for others. It's a way that they can serve. See, you can't see church without doing church. And if we teach people it's all right to see church without doing church, then we have failed as a church. Sorry, I'm probably going to need therapy because I'm pretty enthusiastic about what the church should be. It's more than a visual aid. Church isn't about spectators. It's about participants. So presence, faith to the forefront, prayer, serving is a must, and best practices. What are the best practices I encourage you that if you're around other pastors, you can talk to them. What is it that other churches are doing? What is it that other churches are finding their best practices? Look on other people's paper. Learn from other churches. Find the nuances of how your church can be the brightest part in the darkest of times. Find a way. Look for best practices. Best practices when it comes to every area of your church. What are the best practices? Next principle. Decide now, then adjust. The playing field is changing rapidly. But you can't lead without decisions. So right now I'm making decisions and I don't know if that decision will be one that will last more than 24 hours. Every decision I make has a shelf life to it. And the shelf life right now is getting shorter. 
Some decisions I've I've made and I've told my staff, we're going to do this. They lasted six hours. And I said, "Uh oh, we just had elected officials tell us this. So we're going to react to this. And what I'm saying is make decisions. But then adjust. So you're making decisions based on values that you possess, principles that you believe, and then you're adjusting the application of those things. But you've got to decide. You've got to decide. So let's go through the things so far. And that is this. Presence. Faith to the forefront. Prayer is personal. Serving is a must. Best practices. And then we've got to figure out how to decide now and then adjust. And then the next one, fight for other churches. Just fight for other churches. See, right now... Other churches could be in trouble. So some of the small and medium size, they're struggling. They're struggling economically. They're struggling that they don't have the streaming resources. They're struggling with a whole lot of things. We have to fight for other churches. I'm confronting political officials right now, but I'm not doing it for our church. I'm doing it for the church of 50 that doesn't have a voice, for the church of 100 that needs someone to speak up for it. I've literally told elected officials the decisions that you are making have the chance of putting out of business 100,000 churches that are medium to small within four weeks because they don't have some of the resources other churches have. They're assuming everyone can video stream. They're assuming that everyone in those congregations has the means to receive a video stream. So I'm trying to provoke political officials. I'm asking questions like this. Hey, if the president can stand up and give a press conference where he literally has people in the first row and then a row is skipped and then people in the third row and a row is skipped and people in the fourth, fifth row and then a row is skipped and they're seated every other person. If that's safe in the press room of the White House, why isn't it safe for churches to do that? Just seat people every other row, every other seat. See, I'm not saying that for me. I'm saying it because there's small churches that need to be able to meet. And there is a way they can meet and still maintain protocols. So fight for other churches. Here's something I need to say to every pastor. Whether it was 1986, 2008, or 2020, you have to find zero. Find zero. Let me describe what that means. I'm in contact with a lot of churches. Right now, it would seem like the average church, I'm talking about big and small that I've been talked to, been able to gather uh, data from, over the last two weeks, their income is down on average 25%. Now, for people who don't do church, they just think, well, what's a big deal? You know, you just cut this and you cut that. But here's the thing. In a restaurant, they work on a margin of 8 to 11%. 8 to 11%. So if you 
immediately cut off 25%. There's no 8 and 11%. They don't get to 11, 8 and 11% until you hit 89 to 90%. Now, what I'm saying to pastors out there is you have to find zero. You don't find zero based on reserves. So any money you had in the bank three weeks ago, those are reserves. But you can't base decision-making on that. You have to find zero. So you take two weeks ago, what was income? You take last week, what was income? You take this coming week, what is income? And you average that out, and that's your zero. That's what you know you can't go below. So all of your decisions you've got to make as a church are based on you finding zero. So if hypothetically, uh, extreme hypothetical, if a week ago your offerings were $100, this week they are $75, next week they're $60, You take those three, you average them together, and then divide, and you have zero. You have what zero is, so you take 175 and 60, put that together, divide it. Now you know what your zero is. That's probably it. Each week, you're going to get more data. You make your decision. You don't even look at anything you had before. Well, I had this in the bank. If you look at what you had in the bank account, you're going to have nothing because you're not going to make the decisions quick enough. Remember I said decide and adjust? Decide what zero is and then adjust. Next thing for pastors. I need to make sure that you get this. Ministry does not follow. Let me start over. I need to make it clear. My bad. Money does not follow messages. Money follows ministry. If all you do is put out a video message. Over a period of time, givers will quit giving. Now, there's the handful that are just highly disciplined and understand biblical values. And if you've got everyone in your church doing that, man, I need you to write the book on on really stewardship. Some of you, you're in a a military town, so you have a built-in income. You're different than the rest of us. Some of you are in a hospital town. You're different than the rest of us. You have a built-in infrastructure that insulates. But if you're in the average town in America, you're dealing with the fact people have jobs, don't have jobs, have money, don't have money. You've got to remember that money doesn't follow messages, it follows ministry. If your church isn't creating personal ministry moments, there is no success that will follow that. The more ministry you create, the more people tend to give. Now, that's raw church right now, and some people won't like that. I get it, but I'm trying to help churches be around when this ends. Because I've been young, 1986-87. I've been old, 2020. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. 
Well, thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. Again, I want you to know that each of you are in my prayers. I want to offer you two tools that I think could help you create some emotional stability within your core leadership and maybe even provide some opportunities of the structure and the health of your organization to just increase. Two books I did, uh, The Emotions of a Leader and then also the book I did on Laws of Increase. Both of those have a price to them, but I'm going to sell them at cost, which is $5. So either one of those books, I would encourage you to buy, maybe get a few for core leaders and go through and do a Zoom call and walk them through the book to stabilize the emotions and then enhance a way of giving within your congregation by doing a Zoom call or some kind of communication on the laws of increase. So those books are $5 plus shipping. So I'm praying for you. Thank you so much for joining me. If you think this podcast could help other leaders, please forward it to them. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to geraldbrooksministries.com.